0: We return to our Bringing Light into Darkness interview and dialogue with Amal regarding systemic racism. Malcolm X talks specifically to this issue in one of his speeches within a year of his death about the impossibility in his eye of this system to provide racial justice. In a May 29th, 1964 speech, Malcolm likened capitalism to the chicken. These were his words, it's impossible for a chicken to produce a duck egg, even though they both belong to the same family of fowl. A chicken just doesn't have it within its system to produce a duck egg. It can't do it. It can only produce according to what that particular system was constructed to produce. The system in this country cannot produce freedom for an Afro-American. It is impossible for this system, this economic system, this political system, this social system, this system, period. It's impossible for this system as it stands to produce freedom right now for the black man in this country. And if ever a chicken did produce a duck egg, I'm quite sure you would say it was certainly a revolutionary chicken, end quote. I mean, so when you talk about systemic racism, I think we talk about with these words, but we never talk about what that is and, you know, determining
1: what that is. Yeah.
0: yeah, determining the presence yeah. or absence of racism in the U.S. today, I think we have to look past Personal experiences, in other words, people will look at their yeah. own experiences and their defensiveness, in which they rightfully claim they are not actively racist, but it leaves the problem unaddressed and unresolved. So, when you put the issue "Am I racist?" as a dominant, determining factor, instead of yeah. through the, through science evaluating the overall prevalence in our society of unfairness, and so you know, what does systemic racism look like when it comes to wealth accumulation? Well. We mentioned earlier that the median white household has a net worth of $171,000. Now wealth is of course all of the the assets you have minus all your debts. And that $171,000 is 10 times the net worth of a median black household which is $17,100. This is according to the December 2020 report by Brookings Institute. They cited the federal survey of consumer finances in 2016. So this is a huge disparity and our whole, you know, freedom to buy things and to insulate you from illness and all of that is predicated on wealth and and insurance. Let me, let me just go on with a couple of other things because I think it's important. What does systemic racism look like when it comes to education? well, guess what? The education gap between whites and blacks has been closing for some time now, but the wealth gap has not budged in a parallel way. In 2015, and this is according to Derek Hamilton and William Darity's work, Dr. Darity and Dr. Hamilton, along with Anne Price and Vishnu Sirdaran and Rebecca Tippett in a compilation of studies whose results were revealed in Their article, Umbrellas Don't Make It Rain, Why Studying is Not Enough for Black Americans. This is April 2015. And it's in 2015, and that was Obama's last year in office. Black families whose heads of households graduated from college have about 33% less wealth than white families whose heads of households dropped out of high school. So that's what systemic racism is. You know, don't tell me yeah. you have to get educated and everything will be fine. Well, there there's a showing that the education doesn't make a significant dent into wealth disparity. That's because of systemic racism. When it comes to the wealth ownership, I think we've already kind of talked about that a little bit. But what does systemic racism look when it comes to access to housing? Well, here's a 2016 article by Amanda Colson Hurley entitled The Problem of resegregation in suburbia, it was published by CityLab on February fifteenth, two thousand sixteen, that documented a black family that earns one hundred and fifty-seven thousand dollars per year is less likely to qualify for a prime loan than a white family earning forty thousand dollars. That's only twenty-five percent of one hundred and sixty thousand, right? Wow! And, and so, which means white families can borrow heavily at favorable rates, while black families yeah. are far less likely to get any type of mortgage rate and, and, and they're paying higher mortgage rates even though they're more secure and less at risk financially So this is just another example of modern day discrimination a form of discrimination that has replaced the forms of discrimination before here's another and then I want you to speak to all of these together is the criminal justice system and incarceration rates you know you may argue that crime results in incarceration. So just stop doing crime, and you you won't have so many blacks in jail. But in reality, when you look at, like, the youth drug use by race... Uh, The source here is Health Disparities in Drug and Alcohol Use Disorders, a 12-Year Longitudinal Study of Youth After Detention, a May 2016 journal article that appeared in the American Journal of Public Health. But what they surmised was that, uh, according to that study... Drug use disorders were most prevalent in white young kids, followed by Hispanics and then African-Americans. Yet it was the minorities that were disproportionately being incarcerated. So, again, I mean, that just speaks real straight out. If, if blacks are using less uh, of these drugs than whites, but they're getting incarcerated in, in extremely greater amounts, then that's what systemic racism is. They're also 2.5 times more likely than white men to be killed by police, according to a 2019 research from Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, which I'm sure is not new news. But the most shocking thing I came across, and I presented this stuff before, had to do with South Africa under apartheid. Incarceration rates compared to U.S. incarceration rates of blacks. That there was rates of incarceration per 100,000 that were 851. So that's 1993 South African apartheid, right? 851 per 100,000. If you fast forward to 2004 USA, blacks were incarcerated almost six times a higher rate than 1993 South Africa. It was 4,918 per 100,000. 5.8 times the South African apartheid rate of black incarceration. You know, if, if you're having African Americans incarcerated at a higher rate here, then in apartheid south africa that says something and and i know this is just a lot of information but i i, I just think it all is so important to understand what systemic racism is it, what makes it systemic racism is when you can show that the value of a black life is less than what society puts on a white life so When you go back, which I did in 1984 here in the L.A. Times, the taking of a black life even by another black was one-tenth as likely to be punished by death as the taking of a white life. Yet a black who took a white life was five times as likely to receive the death penalty as a white committing the same offense. And then the last piece to this is out of Dallas, right up the road from here in Austin. This is a 1990 front-page article. In the Dallas Times-Herald, Race Tilts the Scales of Justice, it said a study of 1988 cases discovers Dallas County criminal justice system more severely punishes killers and rapists whose victims are white than those that are black or Hispanic. And the rape of a white woman received a median term of 10 years. If the victim was Hispanic, the median prison term was just five years. And if the victim was black, the median term was two years. So that sends a pretty clear message as to the value of life in the second-class citizenry here in the 20, today in the 21st century. So I guess that's what I wanted to ask you to, to comment on, is that when you have, getting back to Robin DiAngelo and stuff, and they're talking about how to interface with African-Americans and this and that and the other, and they largely do not address the elephant in the room which is the absolute material deprivation that has gone on throughout the history of our country in these different epics as well as these systemic racism issues that we just shared
1: i you know whenever whenever white people write write books about racism i'm very reluctant almost to take everything in a, um in an absolute value and what i mean by that is that Historically, whites haven't been the victims of racism, so it's very difficult for you, a person who hasn't been a victim of something, to write a book about it with the with the real feeling, because it hasn't affected your your bottom line, your everyday existence. So when you say that she doesn't address the elephant in the room, it's because that elephant in the room might not affect her bottom line. She can't see it the way that an African American would, a Native American would, and or others. So when she walked in the room, that elephant in the room might not be that obvious, whereas someone who's been a historical victim of, of white supremacy and racism, they see it right away. Very good. So it's, it, it might be difficult for her. So and, and, and this is not to slight her book or slight her. I, I believe her efforts were genuine, but I think it is very hard for white people to really know or understand what racism is, because historically, they haven't been the victims. So you can't really give her a a heartfelt understanding of what something is when it has not affected your very existence in this country. So now let's let's look at systematic racism, though, because and in, in those different areas that you went into, like education and, and housing and so on and so forth. Because, like I say, I don't like to throw out words without giving them giving context to them. So when you say systematic racism or institutionalized racism. We have to give that form so people can really understand and see what that is. I'll give an example of one, and this, this happened recently. When I say recently, within the last maybe three to three to four years. And this happened in California, but I'm sure the law is, is, is widespread right now. They had to just pass a law in California, like I said, this is in the, the 21st century, for jobs and businesses, and, and particularly jobs. Not to discriminate against African uh, African Americans, particularly women, for how they wear their hair. Mm-hmm. A law had to be passed for that. Mm-hmm. So, a law had to be passed for somebody who, who wearing their hair the way it grows out of their scalp. And so, somebody had to pass a law and say you can't discriminate against this person if their hair is the way it is, the way it grows out of their scalp style nevertheless is going to be styled so you might have dreadlocks or twists or brains or so on and so forth but nevertheless it's the way that their hair the texture of their hair is the way it grows out of their scalp a law had to be passed to say you can't discriminate against a person who has their hair in a particular style the way it grows out of their scalp that's systematic there's something in the system that that had to be corrected that says that you can't because of the way a person wears their hair discriminate against them. And that law was particularly geared towards African Americans and particularly women. That's systematic. So I, I want to give that that word context before we move forward. So uh, and that was just one example. There are others, but that was just one. So when you go into uh, housing for for instance, and once again I'm gonna give you a, a current example. There was an interracial couple, one white, one black, the when the white party of the, of the they were buying a house. The white party of the housing went to the house to meet with the, uh, the real estate agent, if you will. Real estate agent shows them the house, beautiful home, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and gave them, uh, I believe it was the equity of the home in terms of, um, you know, what their budget was, if you will. Beautiful equity. Got, the, the person goes home and tells the black person who's Part of the couple, hey, you know, I think we can afford this house, so on and so forth. You know, we we should go for it. Now, fast forward, they have to meet with the realtor again, but this time, the black person in the couple shows up. When all of a sudden, the real estate and the, the equity on the house has went up. It's like, but you just told my husband, I believe the I believe the the, the white person was the was the was the male in the, in, the, in, the, in the relationship. Say, but you told my husband that the equity was. Uh, the the was was at at a particular rate. Now it's going up within the last few days. What happened? What went, What was different? What the white person who was the realtor did not know is that they were meeting with the the black party and the couple, but not knowing that the relate that, that it was an interracial relationship. Now why why did the equity change when the black person shows up? Mm-hmm. You see, so this is this is once again goes into the 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 Racism that, that we have to experience, so I, I know a lot of people might think when well, I was an interracial couple, well, it doesn't matter. it was just the principle of the fact that when the when the, when the, when the black person shows up, things change they're not the same as when the, when the white person was there. what caused the change within a within a short period of time so let's go into education now well let's be honest, we know education historically has never. I shall I say, wavered in favor or in the direction of the African-American. This is why we had to build our own schools, build our own institutions, because we were kept out of whites, systematically kept out of whites. It was the law. And so when you move that forward, what happens? Now you look at the schools now that are, that are in, the, in the city, and they're, they're depleting, and, and, and this is, goes back to, I'm, I'm going to use myself as an example. Had I not took it upon myself to educate myself, being inspired by Malcolm X to read, where would I be in life had I not took that initiative? Because the public school education that I was receiving was, to use, to use the language of the street, it was whack. Why? Because we didn't have computers. The books that we used, and this is in the 1990s, so this is not that long ago. The books that we using were hand-me-downs from, the, from, the, from some of the white schools in, in the city of New Orleans. We had one of the poorest edu- educational systems, public school educations, educational systems in the entire country. I think we were only second to Mississippi at a certain point in time. I, I'm, I'm not sure how, how that's changed in 2021. But at that time when I was in school, we were only second to Mississippi in, in terms of public school education. So if I didn't take it upon myself to educate myself by going to the library, by, by putting forth extra effort to read, and I relied purely on the education that I was getting out of the public school system, trusting that they were giving me a quality education. As the old folks would say, I'd be dumb as a box of rocks right now. Take that, it upon myself to educate myself. The, but let me let me let me hit the prison system
0: right. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Let
1: me let me hit the, the, yeah. the prison system right because this goes this goes back to what you were talking about with the with the leasing, uh, the private leasing of people. You know,
0: convict uh, leasing, convict leasing. Convict
1: leasing. Convict leasing. So when and I, th- and I highly recommend that people see this PBS documentary called "Slavery by Another Name." It's, it's all, it was on PBS. I'm sure you should be able to pull it up on YouTube or something, but it's called "Slavery by Another Name." There's also a book to accompany this particular documentary, but the documentary will give you a visual of the things that were happening and how they were imprisoning black men at at alarming rates. And like you said, it was it was almost like death camps. Because if you die, you know, you'd just be replaced with somebody else. You were expendable, and to, for lack of another way of saying it. But now you have private prisons. And I'll never forget Reverend L. Sharpton say, you know, you don't build hotels without expecting occupants. So you had all of these private prisons popping up over everywhere. Who's going to fill them? Who's going to fill them? Because the, the, the crack cocaine and, and marijuana laws in this country, you know, disproportionately affected African-American and Hispanic males who, who are filling up these prisons, both private and non-private prison.
0: Right. And, it, and that also goes back to the issue when you look at these surveys that are fairly accurate on use rates between Anglos and African-Americans if yeah. you know you would you would see that the uh, they're practically identical they're practically identical yet you, you're, the your the discrepancies
1: of them is, is where the difference
0: is right but the disproportional <laughs> number of blacks getting arrested though yeah. you know when you were talking to i mean i think it's really well put what you were saying i mean because the the other thing that really occurs to me and hopefully people are getting from the show is with this everyone is lashing back at critical race theory you know the idea of teaching real history is like so alarming because if people know this history then they'll know that you know slavery was replaced by jim crow and the 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 convict leasing and every step of the way african-americans had both their hands tied behind their back trying to make a living and, to and, make a and, and then that you had people like even President Obama insinuating, you know, basically that there was a lack of personal responsibility that was a major thing. No, I mean, yeah. the overwhelming common denominator is these different forms of modern day discrimination that we just went through. And what's so sad yeah. is that when you look at the distribution of wealth, it's so important. It's not just to live a materially comfortable life. In February of 2016 at the Brookings Institute, they analyzed life expectancies for men who were among the top 10% of earners and compared it to those that were about the bottom 10% of earners. And they found that for these men that were born in 1950, out of the bottom 10%, their life expectancy was like 14 years shorter than those among the rich. So when we talk yeah. about these disparities, it's you're robbing lives, your live years yeah. of lives. We know what went on in the uh, the whole COVID deal. How most of the yeah. people that were in the most dangerous jobs that to contract COVID were African Americans. That they disproportionately live in much more congested areas, and 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 those types of things. That and so as yeah. a result, you have this health pandemic disproportionately harming african-american and poor people much more than those that can work from home and are of predominantly greater anglo ethnicity again this is what systemic racism looks like the last thing that i just wanted to share and ask you to comment on that i think really speaks to the issue of the quality of our uh, and the character of our nation is this study that I've shared on the air at least once before, but I just want to repeat it. It's from an article called Black Men Survive Longer in Prison Than Out, and it's it was an article that was published back in July 14th of 2011. The study was published in the Annals of Ep- Epidemiology. The study involved some 100,000 men between the age of 20 and 79 that were held in North Carolina prison between 1995 and 2005, 60% of them were black. The study that was done on these inmates called black men survive longer in prison than out of prison. And it was a study that showed that black men were half as likely to die at any given time if they're in prison than if they aren't. In in other words, that's the type of average lifestyle and material living situations that African-Americans have in this country, that they have a longer life expectancy if they're in jail than if they're in the free world and if they're on
1: the free world yes yeah. Yeah,
0: so and that's 21st century and and, yeah. that, and that's yet we have all of these people and many of them are african-american that are so acculturated in, into this deal that we've come so mm-hmm. far <laughs> like thank you for where we've come and and you know i mean there's no doubt that that that's a true statement but uh, it betrays a higher truth that we've been talking about today in closing, share how you would want to encapsulate the main messaging that you'd like to leave with our audience.
1: Well, the the main message is, is simply this: understand and know that in the history of this country, the African-American has asked for nothing short of what, what the Constitution says we should get. That's all we've ever asked for. Treat us like you say you would on paper. Mm-hmm. Martin Luther King made the same argument uh, in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Well, what you written on paper is good. Treat us like that. Mm-hmm. Give us that.: but
0: what was it James anyway, so what, what was a James Brown song? You know, we don't want anything just just get out of the way or something like that. Yeah, we're, just we're,
1: get out of the way. <laughs> and, and, yeah, I don't want He don't want nobody to give me, just move out of the way. I get it myself. Yeah,
0: yeah exactly. Go I right. get it myself. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's all African Americans are saying' it's like, look
0: quit putting up these roadblocks.
1: Yeah, put, not, quit putting up the roadblocks, Put on these hurdles, on these hurdles make the plane feel as equal as you want it for yourself. Right. Simple as that. And that's what I'll leave with your audience. I hope they learned something. I hope they got something out. The message of tonight. And you know, that's my that's my two cents.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much. We've had the great pleasure of spending the last forty five minutes with Meredith Martin. Amal, thank you so much for your your insights and your reflections tonight. And uh we will look forward to seeing you on Saturday morning. So much. I
1: appreciate the invitation. Thank you. You're, you're viewing uh, well, I, I say you're viewing all but you're listening on it. Yeah. <laughs> and I hope uh something that we, we said tonight could could help them. Independent studies is, is, is I highly recommend. Just sure. pick up a book and read for yourself and don't let nobody else tell you mm-hmm. what you should be thinking or
0: believe. Very good. Well we'll leave it there. Thank you so much. All right. All right, brother.
1: All right. Thank you. All right, all right. Take care, man.
0: Please forward all questions and comments to Pedro Gatos at pgatos00 at gmail.com. We encourage discourse, and you can also access any prior shows and its content or sourcing by contacting Pedro Gatos or visiting pedrogatos.org for archives of shows. Thanks again for listening, and please invite your friends to the discussion each week. Until then, don't believe everything you think. Also, just wanted to remind all listeners that we are celebrating American Disability Act Month here at Co-op Radio and encourage you to do some research and find out more about this act and the millions of people that are impacted by disabilities but persevere as great examples for the rest of us. Okay we'll see everybody next week. Stay tuned for some overnight music but you'll have to switch on over to koop.org. But first as we do at the end of every bringing light into darkness show we take you out with land of naivety. Kickbacks are his cuffs. He breaks all his own lines. Talk